you are here with Jen and Eden, and we are Chaos for Kinky. Today, we're going to be talking about a very interesting topic, bottoming from the top, which is a clever inversion of the more common phrase, topping from the bottom. Um, what is this episode going to even be about besides a clever ruse? A ruse? Well, it sounds like a ruse, but there's actually, it does make sense. Yeah, it's about new tops learning how to do the topping stuff from various sources, including bottoms. Yeah, and whether or not that's a good thing, a bad thing, or potentially other stuff. Oh my god. Wow. (laughs) Words. This is like take three, and I'm so tired of myself. Okay. Are we starting again? What are we doing? No, we're just going to use this. (laughs) Oh, okay. Enjoy the episode. Enjoy. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to the K's for Kinky podcast. This podcast discusses adult topics, so if you are offended by adult topics or are under the age of 18, please stop listening now. Also, while Miss Jen is a therapist, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not to be taken as personal therapy for you. She is not your therapist. And if she is your therapist, just remember that what she says only technically counts in your private sessions. I'm sorry you have to sit upright for this episode. I know that you really wanted to be able to lay down, but the microphone just doesn't stretch that far. We're just going to start this with you giving me shit? (laughs) (laughs) We're supposed to have witty banter, so I just, you know, call it like I... Is that your excuse? Call it like I see it. We have to keep the audience interested. Uh... Else they'll pick someone else to listen to. Are you topping from the bottom? No, I'm bottoming from the top, the name of today's episode. (laughs) That's right, folks. Today we're going to be talking about how tops can learn and gain skills and the possible impact of a bottom teaching a top how to develop their skills. Um, We're your hosts. Jen. And Eden. And as you can hear... We are very excited for this topic, um, but not so excited that some of us haven't tried to lay down to deliver it. Um, So I wasn't trying to lay down. I was just trying to sit. I have a bad back. Oh, man. Now it's going to turn into (laughs) a medical excuse. Um, All right. Let's get into this. I stopped eating my bacon for this. All right. go. Okay. (laughs) I hope that was picked up clear as day on the microphone. Today, I I know it's called bottoming from the top but that's not technically what we're talking about why but are we you... thought we'd pull you in with an interesting title it really is kind of like ultimate topping from the bottom kind well... of maybe um but we're gonna talk about it like when a new d type or a new top let's say a new top because let's just be real when you're new in the scene if you know you're on the left side of the slash the D side. Yeah, you're going to start with topping. You're not, hopefully, hopefully you're going to start with topping or at least just learning about power exchange and not jump in and be like, I am a learned dominant who knows all the things because we'll see right through that. Well, okay, so let's just start off really quickly and define some of these terms that Ms. Chen is bringing up, just for the sake of all being on the same page. The first term is top, um, and top is the person who does the action in a scene or who administers the thing. So, like, the one who is... Tying the rope. Tying or the rope. spanking the butt. Yeah, doing the impact and stuff like that. And the bottom in a scene is somebody who receives 
um, the action basically. And that's like the most simplistic way to talk about topping and bottoming. And the cool thing about the words topping and bottoming is that they're not specific when it comes to power exchange. Um, and it's also why, as you just heard Ms. Jen explain, we advocate for using topping and bottoming when you come into the scene, because the likelihood is you're not actually fully aware of yet what it actually means to be, for instance, a submissive, a dominant, a slave, a master, etc. And that's a lot to take on. Also, when you say things like, I am a master, or I am a dominant, or I am a slave, um, that's some loaded language. I mean, historically speaking, some of that is, is loaded language, but also within the BDSM community, there is sort of an unspoken expectation that most people carry around um, that if you say that you're a dominant, you have some sort of skill set. Um, and I will, I will say that because so many people just walk into the scene and call themselves dominant, um, the word has become watered down. And so this expectation has sort of also become watered down. So, I mean, uh, but the reason that we advocate for it, just use top is because I think we'd like to preserve the original um, meaning of the word dominant for power exchange and not for a newbie who likes to hit things and people. Well, like, and, and I want to say, like, it doesn't, we're not saying that because you identify as a dominant that you have to enjoy topping. Some, some yeah. D types, some S types really are in it for the power exchange piece and not necessarily scenes and physical play. So, well, everything you said is true. I just want to add that little caveat that, you know, if you're coming in as a new D type of any kind, if you're learning, if you're wanting to learn hard skills, then yes, we would assume that if you're going by, you know, claiming the title dominant or master or, or even, you know, mistress or, whatever, that you do have some of those skills under your belt um, or that you have been around and experienced the scene, had education and learned some of the soft skill stuff in terms of the power exchange piece. Thank you for that um, addition because Ms. Jen, of course, is correct. Um, of, course. It, of course. Of <laughs> course. Um, in any case, it's good to talk about the differences between these words because today we're actually going to talk about something that it involves the nuance between these things. So um, the reason it's called bottoming from the top is one, of course, a funny inversion of the very common phrase topping from the bottom. Um, but quite frankly, I think the word bottoming from the top does apply perfectly to the episode because we wanted the reason we wanted to talk about this today is that Miss Jen suggested floating the topic of what happens and how does it impact DS when an S-type has to train the d-type well not has to nobody's forcing you to but when an s-type meets up with a d-type who's brand new yeah um and this kind of question stems a lot from miss jen's experience in her past of finding vanilla people <laughs> and converting them to kink oh and having to train the d-types um oh, which we geez. i tease her well, but we'll get into that, but I didn't train them, and that's kind of the point. Well, but. I tease her about it a lot for various reasons, only because she now is a D-type, and so I find it slightly suspicious that she was deliberately <laughs> choosing people to be her D-type that didn't have the level of experience as But her. I also was with people who did have experience. I, had was, this... I have a whole mixture of people in my past. In any case, <laughs> even though I like to jest with her, um, it is a really fascinating topic because as a Switch who is learning to top, 
I find that I am seeking experienced bottoms who can help me top better. And that's where that phrase bottoming from the top comes in. When I am topping and experimenting basically with my skill set with a willing partner who knows my lack of experience and knows I'm learning, I have an open dialogue with the bottom um, so that I can grow my skills. And in that sense, I don't think necessarily that it's topping from the bottom or really bottoming from the top, but this inversion is really going on where the top actually needs to be the one receiving, receiving information, receiving feedback, absorbing like genuinely where they are and where they need to get and how to get there. And to me, that is a good use of the phrase bottoming from the top. Um, And it's something that every top hypothetically must experience. Somebody has to start somewhere. You can't just come in off the streets of the vanilla land and walk into, you know, Kinklandia or whatever, or Fetlandia, whatever you want to call it, and be like, I am a dominant and I suddenly leveled up and have a bunch of skills I didn't have to work on. <laughs> this is on. not the Matrix. <laughs> no, this is not the Matrix. It's not X-Men. You have to, de- actually, even in X-Men, they develop their skills. But no, you have to That's learn. Why use Matrix because they just upload it and they're yeah, suddenly good at I, karate think, and stuff. Yes, your metaphor was better than mine. My attempt to bring in X-Men was a failure. I, I, I see that right, now. I just want to make sure that was clear. Okay, go ahead. Thank you, Miss Jen. <laughs> um, so I think it's interesting to talk about how tops learn because um, everybody's supposed to do it. If a top is telling you they didn't have to go through this process, that might be a red flag. And it also is interesting to talk about the reality that tops need experienced bottoms to help them learn because if you're practicing on an inexperienced bottom – they can't really reliably tell you when you screw it up because they might not know themselves. Um, so let's dive into this head first with the most obvious topic on the table. Miss Jen, why did you seek out so oh many God, vanilla people starting, um, to, to train and mold into your ideal D type that, that you could not, control oh from God. the bottom? Stop. Puppet master. Is, Puppet master Jen. Okay. First of all, Puppet Master Jen, Master, that's like a whole new title, Puppet Master. <gasps> Puppet Master should be an honorific on Fet Life. I'm Puppet Master Jim. I don't know why I picked Jim <laughs> as the name. I think that's a cool honorific. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. So, okay, I have had when I identified as an S type, right? So this is what we're talking about when I identified as an S type and or a switch, right? I had probably a good eight years or so. Um, when I identified as an S type and or a switch about halfway into those years, um, I did have, <laughs> I did have partners who were experienced in the scene and, and who were already D types and that's its own thing. Were th- was that the majority of your partners? I would say it was about 50% because I had two, <laughs> I'm trying to think like, I'm not talking about just, like, playing with friends and stuff. I'm talking about, like, relationship relationships, like the full romantical type things. I don't know. More complex romantic entanglements. Yes. Um, That involved commitment. Right. And DS. Yes. (laughs) So I had, like, two that were experienced and stuff and two that were not. So it's 50%. That's the kind of math I can do. I know that's 50%. <laughs> I, with the people who were experienced, um, 
you know, there were some issues on the poly side of those relationships, but not necessarily on the kink side of those relationships. Let's talk about the people who weren't experienced. <laughs> of course. So, because so, that's what's pertinent to the topic at hand. <laughs> so the people that were not, um, so one of the things for me, and, and so there's plenty of relationships out there, and, and I'm sure we'll get to this, where one or both are switches, right? And they might be able to switch within the dynamic. I have never been that person. So when I am in a dynamic with somebody, whether I was the S type, whether I was the D type, even when I was a switch, whichever side I landed with them in terms of our energy and all of that, like that was it. Um, You know, even friends, I had a friend that we were both identifying as switches at the time. Primarily, I would just as friends playing, I would I would top her. And then one day I was like, because we didn't have power exchange outside of that. It was just for play. And I was like, how about you try topping me? And we started the scene and like a few minutes in, she was just like, I can't, I can't, I can't do this. Um, And even with people who, um, partners who switched with like every other partner they had, for some reason with me, it just was not a thing. And I don't know why I'm assuming I'm the common denominator there. I just really settle into whatever the dynamic feels like to me in terms of if I'm getting that strong pull on one side or the other, that's the one I stick to. I've, I've never wanted to, nor have I successfully switched with a partner. Um, so what about the partners you trained? So the partners I did not train. So the partners that I brought in, I was an S type, um, and they were new. And so my whole thing, was, well, I, I told all of that to get to the point of, I did not want to be their teacher. Right. So I met these people when I had, I don't know, six years of experience. I was an educator at the time. So like I had all these things and it would actually frustrate them a little bit because they were like, they wanted to be able to just ask me questions and they were like, but you know, the answers. And I was like, no, (laughs) no, I know the answers, but not for you. (laughs) Um, I felt really strongly that they should one learn from other people, um, who were D types teaching them how how to D-type, <laughs> how to play, how to top. Um, but a big part of that was even though, you know, by the time I was with the second person uh, who didn't have experience, I identified as a switch, but I didn't want to be the one teaching them because I felt like it might taint the dynamic so and and that's why I told that whole first part about how I strongly sit in the pocket of whatever the energy is for that um because for me because of that I was concerned that it could start to affect my dynamic with them well and so let's talk about this like hypothetically now so we've kind of opened this topic up and um it's this idea of not only learning how to top but trying to figure out how to navigate establishing a DS dynamic. So there is a difference between topping, bottoming, and entering into DS. Um, 
the let's 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 make some generalizations here that are probably for the most part what most people would agree is true the dominant is supposed to lead in a ds dynamic um ideally the dominant has the skill set to lead the dominant has the skill set to offer advice to make decisions i think there's an ideal as well that d types have the answers and in reality this isn't always true i do want to humanize d types for a moment d types don't always know um and even d types with amazing skill sets might be lacking something that you think is a given or that should be and they might have that weak skill there and you might be better at that thing if you're their s type all people have strengths and weaknesses and d types are people right um but when it comes to like play or like skills that can be learned and acquired i would say quickly if you do the work and you get the mentorship does it damage DS for the D-type to say, hey, my biggest deficit is lack of experience in kink. Can you teach me all these things? Um, and I think this is interesting because Miss Jen decided, no, I, I can't as your S-type teach you because that's just going to invert our dynamic. Um, but I think it's possible for an S-type to kind of lead and handhold a D-type who has a lot of the D-type skills and traits um, but who hasn't been exposed to the learning material, basically, of DS or of, of topping. I, I kind of, I'm not really on the middle of the fence with this. I just can imagine a possibility where DS could thrive with the S-type helping to offer teaching. But I will say this, I think D-types and just people in general have a certain amount of personal responsibility that they should own when it comes to learning skills and self-betterment. And if you're a D-type who wants to top or who just wants to do DS and there's no play, it's, it's all about the mindset, you should be seeking information on your own. Sort of like how like if you are an actor, you should be immersing yourself in film and TV and in scripts and things like that. You should actively be consuming material that feeds your profession. If you want to be a dominant or a top, if you're going to put your hands on somebody else, which could cause them harm if you do it wrong, you should be rabidly consuming information about how to do it well. And I think that's true for anybody, even if you have an S-type who could teach you, I think it's really important to do your own research, going to classes, doing all of that as well, in addition to that. Yeah. I also, though, want to say on the topic of bottoming from the top, let's I want to shift the focus off of trying to build DS simultaneously with acquiring topping skills. Um, I have recently begun to switch, and I felt like I wanted to switch because there was a stirring in me um, about a year ago where I started to really solidify the reality that I wanted to hit somebody consensually. Um, I wanted to top. I wanted to be the one who was doing the impact. Um, and I don't really think that this is news that this happened for me because even from the beginning, although Miss Jen would tease lightly because she's my dominant and do dominance, I want to do this. Um, but uh, I've always thought it was possible for me to switch. Even when I was brand new, I just wasn't interested in doing it at the time. And now that the interest is here, all I have to do is develop a skill set, basically. So that's what I've been doing, but I've, I've been coming at developing my topping skills from exactly that mindset. I'm not coming into topping trying to be a dominant. I'm coming into topping trying to learn skills. 
Um, and so when I have selected play partners, um, I have been very particular about it. I, I saw I've only topped um, people who are practice bottoms or who have been cleared for practice bottoming by my dominant at Club Awakening because they have shown aptitude already for giving very good feedback, constructive criticism to tops who are learning. Um, and my current um, play partner who bottoms to me um, and who I sometimes bottom to as well, she gives me constant um, feedback and allows me to try new things. And I am always open and ready and seeking feedback from her. Um, and there have been times where I've landed a weird hit or I've made a mistake. And I'll say, I think I made a mistake. And she'll go, yeah, this is here's the piece here. And let's try that again. Um, that's kind of what the learning process I feel should be like for new tops is being with people who know enough to give you feedback, who you trust enough to make mistakes in front of, and who are able to, you know, um, help you grow. But you have to be humble enough to grow. And that's kind of my, my little nugget here is whether you are trying to learn how to be a dominant or how to be a top or what have you, you need to be humble. Because if you are arrogant or your ego is more important than learning how to land that hit exactly right, um, you're going to hurt people, and that's dangerous and unacceptable. Yeah, you mentioned Club Awakening, and um, I wanted to say, you know, something that I that I talk about at Club Awakening when I'm introducing the volunteers, which includes experienced bottoms uh, to be practice bottoms at the event. The reason I, I have those volunteers um, – and what I talk about at the party is, look, if you're a newer top and you do or don't have somebody to practice on, um, you know, especially if your partner you're coming in with is also new, having experienced bottoms who can give you that feedback is priceless. You know, it's, it's one of those things that as a newer top, you can stand side by side with another D type and learn, you know, how to throw a flogger, for example. But until you start practicing on a real human and have that real human be like, hey, this is the experience that you're creating, good or bad, here's, you know, here's the, the gentle <laughs> criticisms or here's the praise, here's what you're doing really well. And it's coming from an actual, not, not a, you know, a teddy bear that you have hanging from the ceiling or a piece <laughs> of furniture, um, but somebody who knows how things should land, right? Knows how things should feel and can give you that feedback. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's just, it's such a value to have those experienced bottoms. Well, shit. <laughs> Is that the whole episode? <laughs> Jesus. I mean, I had other thoughts, but they just completely swam from my brain. Well, I was going to say also as a new D type, I always tell people, no matter where you land, go to classes, right? Go to classes as many as you can possibly go to. And I think what's nice is that <clears throat> most hard skills classes, um, especially if there's hands-on learning at that class, which usually for hard skills class, they'll be during or after the lecture portion is over some time for people to practice. And oftentimes those classes will either have bottoms that are volunteering for the class uh, that perhaps the teacher has 
along for the ride um, to be able to practice on. Or there's other bottoms there who are there to learn, but who are also willing to be practice bottoms in that moment. Um, And you've got a teacher there to kind of supervise. Speaking of the benefits of taking classes, while in-person classes are phenomenal and likely the perfect place for you to get topping experience hands-on, there are also, of course, online classes. Yes, Zoom, but also, if you're interested <laughs> in potentially buying and viewing at your own discretion, at your own pace, at your own pleasure, <laughs> classes that have been pre-recorded and carefully bundled for you, Miss Jen, tell them what they can do. You can go to my Gumroad account. <laughs> I feel so cheesy. Um yeah, so I have my BDSM 101 class series, the the three core classes, um, up on Gumroad. So you can learn terms that are very common in the scene. You can learn about power exchange dynamics and safety and red flags. Um, all that stuff is up on Gumroad. And the, what is it called, address, the link, the place to go Yep, is... <laughs> lostandfound.gumroad.com which is L-O-S-T the letter N as in Nancy found.gumroad.com Perfect. Yeah. If you like learning, if you love Miss Jen's voice and want to see more of her face (laughs) uh, stop on by the Gumroad and now back to the regularly scheduled show. I keep having thoughts and they're not coming through. I have, I have an idea. Um, I learned how to top in a weird way, so my story probably doesn't relate to many. Well, now you have to tell the story. Well, I mean, the part that I tell other people to do, I also did, which is even as an S-type, 100%, I would go to classes and I would learn from the top side as well. Because I wanted to make sure that I learned like safety stuff and things like that. So I started to learn a lot of the safety side of things just from going to classes as an S-type. Um, but I actually started switching as a pro. So I was a pro sub and then I became a pro switch and started learning in house, so to speak from other pros. Kind of like an advanced mentorship program at that point, because you kind of get access to a lot of people who already know skills and can just trade off and teach you. It's a really kind of almost a wholesome way of learning how to top. Yeah. I mean, you put that together with, you know, you have a lot of downtime, um, (laughs) as a pro. So we just go off and practice stuff and. Um, so that was a great way for me to learn things. And, you know, from there, um, that's kind of what enacted my light bulb moment of, oh, this is kind of fun. Even though, you know, five years ago, I would have never thought I'd be interested in even topping. Um, I was finding that it was fun. And so I started just, you know, topping friends here and there for the fun of it. And that's kind of where the transition happened for me. But that's a not a common story. I have only been really topping for about four or five months. Um, and I'm starting to actually understand that I have a style. I have motivations. I have things that I want from scenes and from scene partners. I have a goal in mind of what I want to do energetically to a person when I in- in- encounter them. And I'm also learning about things like what headspace I'm in and how that impacts what I can do in a scene or what I'm willing to do. The fact that as a top, I might not be down to top on a certain day. 
Um, I, my, it's actually similar for bottoming. Like I have times when I'm, when I'm supposed to bottom and I don't, I don't feel like I can handle it as a top, even though there's not that threat and fear of pain. If I can't handle pain, there is, um, when you bruise your palms, exactly for when I, I, my first time I played, I played, uh, I, I, I I hadn't learned, um, how to moderate, how to moderate my pacing. So I I ended up walking away with bruised hands and I was like, that can happen. Um, it can happen if you're, if you're a new top or if you're a bottom and you've never done it before, you can bruise your, in fact, it's common to bruise your palms when you're spanking for a long time. Um, but the point that I'm saying is that um, I'm learning as I go, but I'm going very slowly and I'm not playing with a ton of different people. I've only topped three people um, and I only have one consistent play partner who bottoms to me because I really want to hone and learn my skills slowly over time. And there's really no rush personally for me to learn this beyond what I, what I am ready to learn. Um, I think that some tops – get frenzy and I think some tops feel like they have to be able to offer a million different things to be able to do a good scene and in my experience as a bottom some of my favorite scenes have had no implements I am most fascinated personally as a bottom who has experienced implements and enjoys them my favorite scenes have been ones without implements because of the intimacy um, and the challenge of having it be all hands-on body um, and body-on-body. Body. I think th- that's, to me, some of the most primal and sexy ways to do scenes. As a top, the first implement I wanted to learn was how to use my own body. Um, and I'm also really weird. I've never heard anybody else do it the way I'm doing it. But I refuse to pick up an implement until I feel I've essentially reached a certain level of mastery with every aspect of my body that I can u- use as an implement. Um I'm just say- I'm just saying. No, like I'm just smiling because I want to. <laughs> you want to tell a dick joke? That- oh God, no! I was gonna say something about well, you really enjoyed, um, you know, the last scene that included a lot of caning. But I like implements, <laughs> and I think it's cool. Like my dominant has a toy bag that's like fifty toys big, you know. But um, Is that it? actually, you have more than fifty. I think you've had about know. sixty-five to seventy toys. That's not good. Um, we have to pair them down. Uh... We might be doing a toy sale for adults. We better make that clear when we put them out on the on the garage sale on the day. We're not the, putting them on the garage sale. The garage sale. Kinky garage sale. Um, uh, holy shit. Anyway. Um, but no, I, I'm just saying that like my experience as a top derived heavily from my experience as a bottom. And a lot of what I want to do, I've had done to me or I understand how it feels. Which leads me to the next step here. I feel like it's really important as we're talking about learning how to top in this episode. Ah, yes. Know where you're going. Of course you do because it's the absolute (laughs) most recommended thing and I feel it's the thing that tops want to do the least um, unless they are switches or they started as a bottom, which is you need to experience bottoming. You need to experience it. You need to understand what it feels like to bottom, what it feels like to receive impact I, I don't think it's enough personally. I think it's a cop-out to be like, oh, you only need to feel your toys lightly once. I think you should – every top should challenge themselves to bottom in a scene, a full scene, where they actually give up, even if it's not DS, control to another person, and you get to feel what it's like. Because if you don't know the anticipation, the fear, the excitement, the rush – even if somebody is only hitting you hard for you, so like they're not get going at their personal 10, they're going at like a 4 because that's the highest that you can take with pain because you're not a masochist, you can still experience a full scene and have some modicum of understanding about what your bottom goes through. If you don't know or care about what your bottom goes through, 
like you will automatically suffer as a top. I understand there are some tops who are like, I've never bottomed and I'm a great top. I believe it's possible, but I still think even if you're a great top, you could be better if you learned how to bottom. Yeah, there's a there's a common saying that you'll hear a lot of people say, which is the best tops bottoms makes the sorry bottoms make the best tops. Um, and what that's referring to is that experience. You know, it's it's not that look, we can't make you bottom. Well, we if physically can't. Yeah. I mean, well, if, actually, we physically could, but that would be illegal. I'm right. saying. Well, I don't like, know. Some of you could put up a fight. I'm sure. Some of you, we might is, be able to physically force. The point is. We can't make you experience bottoming if you are a D-type who refuses to do that. Um, but what we can say is that we would highly recommend it. Um, we would highly recommend it because just like what Eden said, you might be a great top. Having that experiential piece will make you better. Um, because there's just there's certain parts of play there's certain aspects to play that you can't learn from taking a class or reading a book. You just can't. One of the feedbacks that I get consistently that I've gotten from every person that has bottomed to me, but I especially have gotten it after I've, I think the first time I topped, I didn't quite get this feedback because I was really, I was my first time ever spanking. But beyond that, that first time, Generally speaking, the feedback I've gotten so far has been um, that I intuitively seem to understand how, when to move a, a hit, how hard to go, when to let up. And the reason I'm able to do that is because I can literally imagine what their body is feeling because I felt it myself and I know how I feel when I'm getting rubbed up. I mean, I'm also paying attention to their energy, their body language, but I can and have felt what they're feeling. Um, so that's just like a little like – soapbox here as we're talking about this but that's yet again something that if you are a d-type who is insisting upon identifying as a dominant before you've developed topping skills and before you've taken classes on being a dominant because being a dominant is also a learned skill yeah that's something that i'm going to go on a tangent about here in a second but the point is if you insist upon calling yourself a dominant and you enter into ds as your first act of being in the scene you definitely can't learn how your bottom feels from your bottom at some point even if your bottom is highly experienced unless you're willing to allow them to top you and that is part of your dynamic and that is going to contribute to your dynamic and not diminish it you're going to eventually need to get help and support and that's where of course classes come in but also we can talk a little bit about mentorship and I, I wanted to bring up mentorship um, and I will come back I've put a pin in um, talking about the skills it actually takes to be a dominant. We'll come back to that. Um, That'll be a different episode. <laughs> no, it'll be here. It'll be here. But um, I wanted to just divert attention quickly to mentorship. Um, mentorship is something that is different in the scene than it is in the vanilla world. Um, and what I mean by that is the following. When I was first in the scene, about a month to be exact, um, I was dating my dominance. At, uh, <laughs> me. Her. Um, but I had somebody else in the scene who had been looking out for me since I came in um, who I fucking adore. Um, and I really trusted her. And I went to her one day and I said, would you be my mentor? And I didn't actually understand what I was asking because what I meant was the vanilla sense of can I come to you for advice and will you mentor me? 
can can I learn from you more intensely? And that actually is kind of what mentorship is in the scene, but mentorship in the scene is more than just the vanilla, you know. Um, Mentorship in the scene essentially means that somebody takes you under their wing um, and teaches you a a set of skills that you want or need to learn, and they also essentially often enter into an almost DS-like dynamic with you or a protector and protectee dynamic, not always, but frequently. Um, For somebody to claim you as a mentee means that they are associating themselves with you and in some cases taking responsibility um, for things that you do because it ties back to them. So many people are very careful about picking mentees. Some people, like my dominant, don't have the time. And also the resources and the energy to put into a mentee is great if you're doing it correctly. Well, and that's the thing is that a mentorship can be different things. If if two people decide, um, hey, I would like you to mentor me and really it's more of a teaching relationship, like I want you to be my mentor and teach me how to do these hard skills, for example, that's fine. Um, for others, it's I really want a mentor to act as a guide, right? That we have discussions and I can ask questions and feel like I have somebody to go to, to to give me guidance as I go through my own journey. And for some people, it's both, right? They want to learn some hard skills from, from the mentor, um, but also have that, that guidance piece um, and building that mentorship relationship um and you know some people will say you know you shouldn't be a mentor to someone that you also have a play or sexual or romantic relationship with it's up for debate there's there's both sides to that in terms of pros and cons um and you know you're gonna find different people in different camps However, um, you're right. You know, there's the reason why, like I've had who I would consider like unofficial mentors, um, when I came in, uh, as somebody who is where I'm at now, um, I've had a few people request mentorship to this point. I have not mentored anyone, but that's because for me, I would see that as, a very involved relationship. Um, something that if they wanted to learn skills, that's, that's fine. Um, but part of that too is carving out that time to teach them those skills. Um, but also the guidance, like I feel like I would have the responsibility to not necessarily be on call. Obviously there'd be (laughs) boundaries around communication, but to be able to have like regular check-ins with this person and if they do need help or are in kind of an emergency that I am for the most part reasonably available. Um, and up until this point, I haven't felt like I've had the time or the energy to carve out that kind of relationship because yeah. I think that it really is an important one. And like I said, Some people will just want an official mentorship to learn one skill or to just have kind of a random, I can call you as needed kind of a thing. And that might not take as much time and effort. And if that's what you both want and you're both getting something out of that, fantastic. Um, I just see it a little bit differently. There is a spectrum for sure. Um, There's definitely a spectrum. I would argue that 
I, in a way, have been Miss Jen's mentee, and she's acted in many ways as a mentor to me, but she's not my mentor. She's my dominant. And um, on that note, when you are in DS with somebody, the same type of association occurs as if you were a mentee and a mentor, except like it's different. Um, but like everything that I do reflects back on my dominant, and I also see that as as applying to how I top. Um, and what's funny is I've learned a lot of my topping skills from my dominant. I found out recently that I spank like her, even though she actually hasn't given me formal training on spanking as a top. I know how You've she moves. <laughs> I know how she moves. So I've in, I've instinctively begun to spank double handedly as she does, which is interesting. I'm, I'm proud to say that I might have a similar style to my dominant. Um, but with mentorship, keep in mind that mentors might may ask you to compensate them. Um, traditionally, it's my understanding that compensation didn't occur with mentors and mentees. But this has started to change. And the reason for that is because a lot of people um, will go to a pro dom, for instance, or go to somebody who has obvious skill, will petition to be a mentee, will meet up with them on occasion, learn what they need to learn, and then suddenly peace out and not have contact with them anymore. Um, and the problem with that is that mentors are investing in their mentees. They want to invest in people. They want to build people up. They want to create a community member, typically. And so they want to know that you're going to be there. And if you peace out on them and you also just use up their time and they get nothing back from that, you've now basically robbed that person. So that's why some mentors who get, you know, propositioned a lot to be a mentor have begun to ask for financial compensation. That's not always the case, but I wanted to mention that as something that is valid and that you should be respectful of if you approach somebody and they say they want compensation. Don't just assume that they're not worth the time or that they're being a dick they might just be protecting themselves because they've been burned before or they they might genuinely only be willing to do the labor for money because that's they they need to do that so that it just feels yucky what feels yucky paying for mentorship mm-hmm. i don't think it's yucky i i've heard i've heard some d types talk about this before so how i know about this this part of the dynamic especially some pro doms who well, pros i can see doing that because that's their business but if you Outside have sight of that, it feels a little, uh. it depends. It depends on what your need is and wh- who you want to be paired with. I think the most organic mentor and mentee relationships come from actually knowing somebody. So I don't mind saying that Miss Jen and I are mentees of Mistress Cyan. We don't have it formally listed on FetLife at this time. I'm sure we can update that. Um, but we, that's not really the point. We don't, we don't, have the mentorship with her because we need to display it we have it because there are very few people we can go to for advice on ourselves and our relationship and our dynamic and we've chosen her because we love her we work often with her and we respect her and we're honored that she makes time for us um and it's not a financial compensation situation but we're also an active member active members of her community and we want to help her and are here um, and so it is mutual in that sense. Well, you know? and I think it's in the most beautiful sense to me, a mentorship is an exchange, just like power exchanges in terms of some of some of the best mentors that I've talked to will talk about how much they also learn from their mentees. 
And it's just like, you know, teachers saying, I learn just as much from my students as I teach them. It might be different things, but um, that's something that that I really love about a mentorship. Um, and to be able to get that, I, I maybe that's why the the comp like the transactional kind is a little feels a little icky to me just because I don't think you're going to get that level of and I say this in a non-sexual way intimacy <laughs> with the mentee you don't have I to. know but most people hear intimate and they think sex I just want to no, make sure to clear you that think up. that no a lot of people think a that. lot of people hear intimacy and hear intimacy which is just closeness with somebody whether emotional or physical okay but I'm going to say non-physical intimacy <laughs> This is a constant point of contention in our relationship because I use the word intimacy for lots of things and Miss Jen gets very uncomfortable because she hears intimacy and goes, what? Sex? Who are you sexing? I'm like, I'm intimacying people. I'm being intimate. Anywho's, oh man, my point was that I really, and it's, it's tough because a lot of people coming in, they're brand new and they don't know anybody and they look for a mentor and it used to be that it was much easier to come by a mentor. You'd be, you know, connected with a mentor through other people when you're new. And that was kind of just the way of the world, if you will. But now it's not that easy. You come in, you don't know who's actually experienced because everybody's on the internet and is, you know, the king of all things. Um, I am the king of all things. <laughs> but, you know. Wait, isn't that God? Developing. Stop. Isn't that like God's Stop. thing? Stop. Developing Sorry. a relationship with the mentor that you can both be genuine. You can both be very real with each other and have that exchange of, of different types of knowledge and things that your mentee might go through that as the mentor with, with possibly more experience, um, not always, not always. Right. But there's that. <clears throat> what is my, mentee bringing up to me right now or what did they just go through that maybe lends a new perspective or makes me as the mentor think about things in a different way so that's what that's kind of what I mean by there's there's an exchange there so yeah I just I think that's why it felt a little when you <laughs> mentioned the transactional well, kind because I think ideally in my mind it would be somebody that you know that you at least get to know and that you can both be very real and and invested outside of financially. I think that's a beautiful ideal. <laughs> Thank you. On the side of reality <laughs> for a lot of people who need mentorship and people who are listening to this podcast right now who might be new D-types or new tops who are seeking mentorship as a way to learn skills they don't want to have to absorb from their S-type. Well, learning skills might be a different. Well, like, you may be in a position where you just want to find mentorship and you're willing to put in um, financial, you know, whatever, a financial exchange so that you have somebody that's willing to work with you even though they don't know you super well. So I just want to advocate for that. For some people, that might be the route they want to take and it's valid. And that's what I'm saying. It's valid. It's not the ideal that Ms. Jen described. And if it doesn't jive with you to exchange financial stuff, which for me personally, it wouldn't jive personally, but oh, that's... here's a question. Well, hold on. This... I, you, w woman, ah, I love you. difference between mentorship and traineeship? Oh. Oh, my God. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> um, I'm trying to say that it's valid if you are comfortable financially exchanging so that you can get 
resources that somebody's willing to give you if you're able to compensate them, then you should do that. Um, all right. Wow. I'm boring myself half to death. Um, See, I'm that's trying. Why I was interrupting you. No. no. I'm just <laughs> oh my God. Get out. Um, okay. So. But what I said was like being trained by somebody is also different than being mentored by somebody. I think it's similar. And that similar. could be under a trainee type situation, which feels better to me. Like paying somebody to train you, especially if it's going to be more about like hard skills and stuff. That to me might be more under a, a training. You're not going to unsell or unmake me saying that it's okay to pay for mentorship. I'm going to call it training. But it's funny because oh you and I secretly, not secretly, but kind of secretly offer coaching. It is pretty well, secret because we've told almost no yeah, one. It's simply secret anybody. bio mission, but we offer coaching. So here's but the, here's but it's more it's training though. It's not a mentorship. No, it's training. It's not entering into contact with us. We're not responsible for you. And if you make a mistake, it doesn't come back to us because you're not. And honored. it's transactional. It's, it's transactional. Yeah. Um. But so here's a couple of ideas. So first of all, if you're interested in mentorship and you're listening to this. Um, what you want to do is you want to one, meet people at munches, go to parties and identify D types or just people in the scene who are leaders. There could be easily switches and S types who are in leadership positions who are awesome, but identify a leader and approach them and say, Hey, I've been to, we'll get to know them first, you know, but, um, maybe after the second or third time meeting them say, Hey, I've been around a little while for about a month and I, I would like to know if you um, are taking mentees. Um, you can also look at people's profiles because many people will say that they're taking mentees. Um, I would just caution you that simply because somebody says they are a mentor or that they're willing to do mentorship does not mean they're qualified to be a mentor because there's listen no to our vetting. Episode. Yes. Listen to our vetting <laughs> episode for more on this, but be wary. Um, judge people based on what you observe and what you see and vet your potential mentor. Like don't just go up to somebody cause you think they look okay or their profile sounded all right. Um, I can think of one person in particular right off the top of my head who claims to be a mentor, who's taking mentees right now, who I think is a total dickwad. Oh. Um, I'm just saying <laughs> um, you got to be kind of careful. Um, if you're new Vetting is your best friend. You want to ask around before you commit yourself because remember, yes, the mentee's behavior reflects on the mentor and the mentor's behavior reflects on the mentee. So I just wanted to put that out there. But if you don't want to go the mentorship route, which I understand because it's a little more, you know, difficult to find the the right mentor for you, you should go to classes, you should go to munches, and you should go to support groups for people who are on your side of the slash. It is an amazing way to learn res- uh, um, skills, to get resources, and to get help. Um, I, Especially talking about soft skills. I'll tell you, yeah. you know, and Ms. Jenny can let me know if she wants me to cut this out of the podcast, <laughs> but something that I have asked her to do that I think that she needs is to find community support from other D-types. And I believe that just having the community there Except I'm hardly able to go, which is sad. Yes, but what she does cherish being able to go because it's a space that, one, she's not running, but that, two, she can actually even just listen and hear other D-types experiences. And I feel like it is a form of support for her that she needs. Or, like, having a a mentor, having Mistress Diane, I always am asking Miss Jen to, like, please check in with Mistress because my dominant deserves support, and I can't always give her what she needs because – you know, if we're having even interpersonal problems, 
she needs outside perspective and so do I. Um, so really, really heavily lean on your community in this sense, like seek other D types and, and try to find people who are in similar situations to you and, and hear what they're going through, because it could be that the problem that you're having or the something you're trying to learn, other people are also experiencing and that might be comforting. And there might be people who have been through it, who can give you good advice because they've been there. And that's basically like getting mentored without being in the mentorship relationship. There's one final thing for me that I really wanted to speak on when it comes to bottoming from the top or tops learning from their bottoms. First, I told you earlier on that I would come back to what is dominance. And I am here to deliver on that promise. It's not enough to simply have dominant energy in terms of the vanilla description of the word to call yourself a dominant. For example, when I've been topping recently, I feel like I have a very dominant energy when I am topping. Um, And I use the word dominant here in a very primal, like almost animalistic sense of dominance. But I don't identify as a dominant. Um, And there's a reason why. First of all, it's just not how I feel I am. I don't want to identify as a dominant at this time. Also, I'm a submissive to my dominance. So there's, you know, we would have to figure out what that would even be like. But beyond that, um, to me, to be a dominant There are things that you should have. Um, Some of them are qualities and some of them are learned skills. But here are the qualities I think a dominant should have, ideally. Honesty, self-awareness, humility, confidence, life experience, enough life experience to actually be able to lead somebody else. Um, I think D-types need to be intelligent and I think D-types should have wisdom. This is a tall order. I could actually continue on from here, but I'm going to stop for a second because what I think D-types should have and what humans have are two different things. There's an ideal image in our minds. What? D-types aren't human. They are humans. (laughs) There's an archetypal or archetype of a D-type in my mind that probably speaks to a lot of people when they think of what a D-type should or shouldn't do. In the same way that we all have archetypes for beauty and kindness in our minds. Um, But the reality is D-types are going to have deficits. And to me, an excellent D-type is already aware of where their deficits are or learns what they are and is willing to work on those deficits. Um, In the same way, S-types have deficits. And I feel like, in fact... D-types and the community in, in, at large tend to think of S-types as having deficits that need to be fixed or supported. I think it's easier to think of an S-type struggling than it is to think of a D-type struggling, right? Because the S-type is the one that's supposed to be learning and being led. But in reality, S-types, I feel, just as D-types should, be um, qualified by their strengths. S-types have lots of things to bring to the table and a lot of strengths, Um, And it's possible that when a D-type and an S-type are together and they're both qualified and they're both good people and they both have some sort of experience or maybe they both have no experience, right, but they're on fairly equal footing, it's possible that the S-type is going to have to step up where the D-type falls behind or the D-type is going to have to step up where the S-type falls behind. And that's, to me, the nature of being in a human relationship. So we've talked a lot today about how D-types should be taking some personal responsibility to learn certain things. But when it comes to being a dominant, being a good dominant can only really happen, I feel, 
when you're actually in relationship with somebody who is in service to you and you learn through experience where you aren't strong because you can't hone yourself to be an excellent dominant until you've actually sat there and done the honing. And in that respect, dominants are going to make mistakes and they have to learn from their S-types. I will speak about my dominant for a moment. My dominant is incredibly skilled. She has a lot of amazing qualities, a lot of gifts. I could list many of them, but I'm, it'll take too long. My dominant has also never been a dominant before me. This is my first full-time power exchange as the dominant. My bad. I meant to qualify it as full-time dominance. But your part-time experience was part-time, and it's a different animal than living 24-7. Absolutely. Um, my bad. My bad. I don't mean to diminish that um, at all, so I apologize. Uh, but as far as being a first full-time dominant where that is the nature of the relationship you're in um, all the time, you can't really prepare for that. I mean, you can, you can go to support groups, you can have a mentor, um, you can read books, which my dominant reads lots of books, but you are ultimately going to have to learn on your feet what you're made of as a dominant when you're in a relationship with an S-type and vice versa. The S-type is going to learn on their feet and every relationship is different. So Miss Jen could, could have another dynamic with somebody else and it could excel in places where our dynamic doesn't. And it could have problems in places where our dynamic doesn't because it's always going to change based on who you're with. And that's why I don't really like it when D-types have cut and paste models of what they expect from S-types or vice versa. I don't like the checklist way of seeking partners because ultimately you cannot design beforehand the perfect relationship and you can't be a perfect dominant beforehand or even during. There's no such thing as perfection. Um, But it is okay as a dominant to learn from your S-type. It's okay to admit as a dominant, I have things to work on and I recognize my S-type has a strength I do not have or that I admire that I want to have. It's okay as a dominant and as a top to admit when you don't know something. In fact, it's comforting as the bottom to know that your dominant knows their limitations and is willing to admit failures or weaknesses. Um, Because it gives you permission as an S-type to be vulnerable as well. But it lets you see that your dominant is human. You know, it's not an act. It's not a facade. They're not going to hurt you because of their ego or arrogance, right? Um, So I wanted to just encourage you that while I think as a dominant or as a top, you should heavily try to take personal responsibility for learning certain skills and how to be. And you should absolutely be doing your work. Like go go to the support groups, go to classes, etc., You should also be willing to get feedback from your submissive and you shouldn't be afraid to admit when your submissive might know better than you. It's okay. You know, um, dominance don't always have to know everything and dominance aren't always going to have the perfect set of skills that people may wish they did hypothetically. Um, But you can develop those skills. You can get better. um, And you can form a really beautiful, trusting relationship with the person you're in the dynamic with. If you're both willing to learn from each other. I just wanted to throw in at the end here, because I know that this episode is specifically about new D types. Um, I just wanted to kind of throw in that for new S types, my best advice, if you're looking for mentorship is to find mentorship with another S type um, who is, if you're new, more experienced, um, 
and who you get along with and admire and respect. But a lot of times S types will come in and, a, you know, a D type will swoop in and be like, I will mentor you. And um, this can be problematic in many cases. Well, and uh, this there is... might be exceptions, but that can be an issue. But also, especially if they've never bottomed or been an S type, like it might, like in my situation, I've, I've, I've done all the things. But most of the time, they don't have that experience. And so their mentorship, if it's well-intentioned, can still be very limited. Well, and that's why they say it's unethical for a mentor to be in a romantic or sexual or DS relationship with their, with their mentee. Um, which, again, is an interesting statement only because I would argue that a lot of DS relationships very closely mirror mentor-mentee relationships. I think that's why there's confusion. And that's also why I would advocate for not having your partner be your mentor treating your relationship like you are their mentee in terms of learning from them or etc but actually still seeking an official mentor outside of your relationship it is a little bit i think um less muddy when you do that and as miss jen mentioned super bonus points if you're being mentored by somebody who is on the same side of the slash as you or or who has been there because they're going to be able to help you a lot better um all right so today we've talked about bottoming from the top we have covered um ways that tops can learn uh, skills without going through their bottom. So we talked about mentorship. We talked about classes. We talked about um, golly, support groups, reading books. We talked about all of those things. (laughs) Dominance is a skill set you can learn, but that you basically have to, in my opinion, learn as you go in the relationship you're building with the partner you have. And you will find out ways that you are not as strong as you thought, and that's okay, and you don't have to fake it till you make it. You can admit I'm not strong here. I want to be stronger. I'm not perfect, but I'm still a badass. And also, there are some people that just are not... How am I going to put this? You're going to end on this? I don't know. You're going to judgy? You're going to judgy it up? Well, I love there's you. many parts of being a dominant that can be learned. And there are parts of being a dominant that I believe are just a part of your nature and a part of who you are. And as you have mentioned many times throughout knowing you, most of the dominance you meet, or many of them, you don't respect as a dominant. You don't think fit in that category. I respect them in person. I'm respectful, but privately, I don't. um, Let me justify myself here. I reserve the right, as all people do, to form opinions in my brain about people I encounter And you're damn right that I've met many, many D-types who claim to be dominance who, to me, lack dominant traits. They might have arrogance, which people often mistake for dominance. Um, They might be posturing. They might be very fragile in terms of their ego. Um, They might be tops calling themselves dominance. Um, I can feel, in my gut at least, when I've encountered somebody who has a dominant energy. And to me, dominance is quiet, calm, and confident. To me, I can feel that. I I, I usually say you you have the ones that are puffing out their chest, and then you have what I call quiet confidence. Yeah. And that, to me, is you don't have to prove that you're a dominant. You just are. Well, and this is the thing. Like, I don't really, like, feel that it's okay to tell other people how they identify is wrong. Well, no, we wouldn't do that. No. I, I, (laughs) I, in my own heart, in my own mind will think to myself that person isn't much of a dominant in my estimation 
Um, but I'm still going to treat them respectfully and use the honorific or whatever that they want to go by, depending on the space that I'm in, because I don't wish them any harm. And I don't think that what they're doing is necessarily wrong. I think they're either confused or they think something about themselves that doesn't match up to what I'm, what I'm picking up, you know, and that's, and that's I think a lot of experience. people come in too and they, they think that th- based on perhaps, you know, their gender or their age or whatever, that they should be in a certain category, that they should be a D type when maybe that's really not where their heart is. And well, they have to figure that out too. Also, there are different types of D types. So there are people who genuinely have dominant energy who are also just like abusive dicks. And I like to distinguish abusers from D-types because I think if you're abusive, you're not a D-type. You're just an abuser. But I simply want to say that there are flavors of D-types who do come off as overconfident, and it doesn't make them not a dominant. It's just a weird, overbearing nature. And that just comes down to personal preference, too. Like, I have a type of D-type that I like better than others. Um, and I I watch and wait to see how D-types interact with each other, too, to kind of get a hint at who they are. But... Ultimately, whether you have personal inside judgments or not, it's important to be respectful to people as you encounter them in the scene. I think it's if you don't want to use anybody's honorifics, but the ones in the of the people you're in relationship with, that's totally fine. Just do that across the board. I would strongly discourage anybody from picking and choosing randomly as they meet someone if they're going to be using their honorific because it could be very insulting if you if it's known that you do that. My point of that is just. It's okay to learn about yourself as you start your journey, and it's okay to discover that you sit more comfortably somewhere different than you started. I mean, I'm obviously proof of that as well, but... We tease a lot here on the show, and I tease Miss Jen a lot here at home, about the fact that she has always, most likely throughout all of her life, had something of a dominant energy. It's possible that in some areas of her childhood, she didn't, you know, children are still developing their personalities. But the undercurrent of Miss Jen's story is self-determinism. Like, she self-actualizes. She creates. She controls. A lot of her experiences, based on what she shared with me, with D-types, whether they had experience or not, was D-types who were hands-off with how they wanted tasks being done. So she often had experiences as an S-type where she was given basic instruction but allowed to complete things as she would. Um, As a D-type, she's not that way. She doesn't necessarily micromanage, but as a D-type, she has a lot more specificity. The reason I point this out is because while we often joke about Miss Jen always having always quote unquote been a D type all along, which is the secret like don't joke. Don't take away, don't erase my S type. Yes, um, we. I wanted time. to say <laughs> that even if it turns out that you transition and change on your journey, it doesn't actually take away from the reality and the validity of how you identified earlier in your journey. I think Miss Jen needed to be an S type. She was genuinely an S type. She, she was fed from I'm being also an S type. Grateful for yeah experience. Um, she wouldn't be the D type she is today if she wasn't an S type. And again, as much as I tease her, like ah, oh, you were always a D type. She wasn't always a D type. It's not true. She was not. Um, you know, and I was it, always an A type. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, and there are certain traits that we tend to assign to certain roles. Um, but the point is that you decide who you are you are not a static being um and we just simply hope that as you grow you are humble you are kind and you are willing to learn yeah i think that's all great advice um we really appreciate everybody for listening 
and uh, write a review and stuff if you can. Um, and we'll see you next. Why are you looking at me? <laughs> I want to do something funny for the end. Oh, okay, go. We should end on a funny note. Is this a funny note? No, this ah. is. Is that a funny note? No, that's just a cheesy joke. <laughs> It's embarrassing. That's hilarious. It's not hilarious. That's so funny. You're not. And you know what? The fact that you take real joy in what you just did, that. <laughs> That's it. I just made it funny. Okay. Bye. Uh, uh, I, I'm, there's tears coming to my eyes because I'm so secondhand embarrassed. And cue the music. No. This isn't the way I wanted it to end. Too bad. Bye.